Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy stood at a distance and called in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome again to In Town. It's great to be with you. And this is my second week back from sabbatical. And as I thought back in the early summer before leaving, um, what would it feel like to start preaching again and get my sea legs, as it were? Uh, I want to do something really simple and straightforward. So let's do parables. Let's do the stories because they often have a, a this and not that sort of setup that even a child could read and sort of get. But then they also have these multiple layers that it takes time to understand and to, especially to figure out how to communicate uh, when you haven't been in practice for a while. And so this one, I found myself just writing and writing and writing and trying to remember, oh, the summer, we have short sermons and short services. I got to cut this down. And that was hard because there's so much here. And often the disciples themselves have to pull Jesus aside and say, Master, what did you mean by that? Even they don't get the full implications of it. But this one, as many others, has a this and not that set up. And most of them, most of the parables, most of the stories of healings and miracles are critiquing the religious insiders that want to constrain the diameter of the work of God. They want to draw in the boundary of where grace can move and who it can be applied to. It's a constant refrain, and you would think that we would get it from Jesus. There's a that, and then there's the this, and that is the religious, cultural, social outsider who Jesus includes in a very counterintuitive, very countercultural way. And he's saying this is what my community is to be made of. This is who I am. These are the people that I want to be included. And so right off the bat, we get to ask ourselves, is that the sort of experience people have when they enter into our orbit, personally or as a church? Do people that have some sort of outsider status feel included by us, feel welcomed? We started this story of healing last week, and we looked at the story of 10 people who were healed of this awful, debilitating, socially isolating disease, but only one returns to Jesus. 
And we're told he doesn't just come back to say, Jesus, thank you, that was a really nice thing that you did, but he falls on his face and he begins to praise loudly, very conspicuously, he praises God. And we're told he's a Samaritan. And this would be very shocking, a rabbi healing and talking to a Samaritan. But the the gospel writers, those people standing around watching this happen and decided we should write that down. It would be very scandalous to remember this as a primary characteristic of who Jesus is. Establishment politics would dictate you keep this story out of the party platform. This doesn't play to the base very well. Not only did this Samaritan have leprosy, this dreaded disease, and was a social outcast like the nine others who were healed, but he was also a religious and ethnic outcast. There's this bitter resentment and rivalry between Jews and Samaritans. It was the Antifa and the Portland uh, prayer, Patriot Prayer, I think, if that helps you understand how deep this bitterness was. This Samaritan has no business whatsoever asking Jesus for healing, talking to a rabbi, no less. And he would know that if he approached Jesus and he was granted this concession, granted this wish, well, that in itself would be a miracle. You see, the nine, they recognize something significant has indeed happened. They've been cured, and that's no small thing. They can return to their families, to their friends, to their jobs, and to the temple. They can go to the priest and be re-included into the community. Jesus is granting them, in other words, something they lack, something they have lost. He's granting them normalcy. He's returning them to normalcy. But you see, the Samaritan doesn't see his experience like that because he's not returning to normalcy. He's not getting a social status restored. He never had these things to begin with, at least not in Jerusalem, which is where this takes place. The Samaritan, you see, sees this healing as wholesale resurrection. Jesus has given him life instead of death. For the nine, Jesus gives them back something they had lost, but the one, he gets something that he never had. And friends, that's the gospel, that's the good news that Jesus brings. And he brings it not in propositional statements, but in a sort of play that you would watch on stage. It depicts a reality that's hard to understand. He is depicting, this is my kingdom, this is what I'm here to do. This, not that. You see, all ten apparently were healed, but the Samaritan sees the event very differently. The nine saw themselves as having leprosy, but the, lo- the one saw himself as a leper. 
no business whatsoever talking to this rabbi. And I think it should remind us that when we come to Jesus, when we ask for healing, we need to know what we're seeking healing from. We've got to know what's wrong with our story and with the story of the world. What did Jesus come to do? Some of us approach Jesus with the I've done bad stuff doctrine of salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of the bad stuff I've done. And this is the I have leprosy approach. I have something that I need Jesus to take away, to cleanse me of. And this is the healing of the nine. And it's not nothing. In fact, it's quite significant. But it's transactional. Jesus' whole job, in a sense, is to forgive you, to absolve you of your personal sin. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. If that was the story, it's rather anticlimactic. We wouldn't still be talking about it. Jesus basically solved a a physical problem, which they saw through the lens of their religion, and he solved a religious problem for them. They had restoration to the temple and to their religious community. But the one, the Samaritan, saw something different. He didn't just have leprosy and needed physical healing. He was a social, religious, cultural, economic leper. He didn't need a religious problem solved, but he needed resurrection. He needed new life. When Jesus heals them, he doesn't just merely cure their their bodies, but he restores their identity, their personhood. He resurrects that which allows them, enables them to be fully human, family, community, society, intimacy, physical touch. That's what Jesus is restoring. He's not just fixing a sin problem, but he says he's coming to restore the whole world and restore your humanity. And for this, he acts this out. And he gives this leper a place to belong. He says, you're included. I see you. I hear you. And instead of rejection, this leper gets mercy. Jesus gives him a place of belonging that every religious and societal, cultural norm said that he should never have. And Jesus grants it. And then he turns to the crowd and said, so, (laughs) kind of in an ironic way, weren't there ten who were cleansed? As if he doesn't know. Where are the other nine? Where have they gone? Well, I think it's fair to say, you have to read into the narrative a little bit, but they're at church. They've gone to the priests, they've been restored, and they've probably stayed there. In our context, they're at church. The other nine are 
the people that show up here regularly on Sunday morning. The nine of the people that populate the American church, those who used to have leprosy, that needed a sin problem fixed, needed to be absolved of something, those who used to have leprosy make up the general demographics of the American church. But generally, the lepers are still outside. Did you notice that 10 go up to Jesus? The bitterness between the nine, I'm trying to make nine with five fingers, the bitterness between the nine and the one doesn't seem to exist. They're walking together, they're maybe traveling together, and they go up to Jesus as a community. This thing that they've shared in common, this ailment that's so isolating, has made all of those things, those distinctions, those boundaries that divide people everywhere have brought those down, and they don't seem as significant because what defines them is they're lepers. Leprosy defines them more than being Jewish or being Samaritan, but not afterwards. The nine go to the priest. They go back into their religious confines where they don't have to meet any more Samaritans. They don't have to hang out with lepers anymore. We don't know exactly, but the parable or the the story seems to say that Jesus sent the one, the Samaritan, to the priest, but we don't know if he actually went or not. And it's likely that he didn't because the priest represented for him the religious institution that condemned him, that preached against him, that reviled him. Why would he go to the priests? The priest, the religious institution, had constricted the boundaries of grace so much that it disincluded and disinvited the Samaritan. Would he have felt any safety to go there? Maybe he just sort of wandered around. Maybe he went and got a beer. I don't know. But he comes back to Jesus. You see, the nine and the religious institution that they inhabited were taught from childhood to demean and to feel superior to Samaritans for no other reason than their ethnicity. The Samaritan, you see, was still on his own. He was, in a sense, kicked out of the one community that he had. He was healed of leprosy, but he was still a Samaritan. Where would he go without the other nine? To whom could he turn? And, of course, the story tells us. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, loudly praising God. He went back to Jesus. He no longer questions his belonging. He's received by the most unlikely person to receive him, a Jewish rabbi. Some of us this morning occupy those spaces that that Samaritan leper would have 
found very normal in his life. And maybe our taste of the brokenness of humanity isn't leprosy. It isn't ethnic exclusion to that degree. But we do occupy some space that gives us a sense of what that Samaritan may have been dealing with, the social, spiritual, psychological barrenness that comes from not knowing if we really belong or not, not knowing if our primary community really accepts us and really loves us, or do they just do it because we play the part? Maybe we feel like we're an outcast from the love that we really want, that we're seeking, and a certain barrenness is kind of settled in. We can't seem to shake it. Maybe we feel like we're an outcast from ourself. We don't know who we are and where we belong. Maybe it's something very practical. Maybe it's you're a couple that wants to have children and you can't. There's a a real barrenness, as we've typically called it. Maybe just an individual that you feel like you're crushed with loneliness. You can't get away from it. You want to find that one relationship that's going to heal your loneliness, or maybe you're on the other side of finding that relationship that you thought would heal your loneliness, and you you find out that it's just as lonely in marriage, in significant relationships. Or you're just withered because of hurtful words from someone who's important to you, a parent, a boss, a religious teacher, and maybe you've come to believe them. You live out of those words. You embody those words. So often... The Bible is conscripted into the service of the elite and the powerful and the wealthy to justify their enrichment and their insider status. And we should be careful saying there because it's really our as well. Most of us occupy that space, and we can use the Bible to justify our own enrichment and our own prosperity and standing apart from the parts of our community that we don't want to interact with. But, friends, maintaining that interpretation, it does take a lot of work. (laughs) There's a lot of cognitive dissonance to go along with that. Because the story that the Bible tells us, the story that Jesus claims to inhabit, is written from the perspective of Israel, It's a nation that's constantly oppressed, constantly enslaved, and they find hope in Yahweh. It's a story of outsiders and foreigners and aliens and widows and orphans finding grace where it wasn't expected. It's a story of Gentiles being included, eunuchs, the sexually exploited and the sexually excluded. Samaritans and lepers being not only included, but being object lessons for the hard-headed. Those of us, those of us, right? Object lessons of inclusion to challenge the structures of social and religious elitism. 
And it's the story, finally, of a God who brings all of those outsiders in by becoming an outsider himself. You see, Jesus doesn't just heal the leper, but Jesus becomes a leper. He becomes the ultimate outcast, unacceptable, rejected by the very institution that he came to serve and that birthed him on your behalf and on my behalf to give you belonging that gives you some stability in all of those circumstances where being a human feels so hard and so painful. He comes saying to you and to me this morning, I will take on your leprosy. I will take it on as mine. I will eradicate it once and for all. And he comes saying that he will leave us with the promise that those who die to themselves can find life in him. And will not just find spiritual renewal, but will find themselves being a part of a story of God making all things new. Not just to a restoration to normalcy, to what we had and lost, but to something that we couldn't expect to resurrection, to a whole new order where your belonging and your status can never be challenged because Jesus brings you in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that wherever we find ourselves in this story, whatever part we related to, whatever the character was in this story that we saw a piece of our story in, God, I pray that you would help us to find our bearings ultimately in the story of the gospel, ultimately in the Savior King that came and gave up his life and gave up his power, that he didn't come with an army or with a sword dictating that people come in, but he came with an invitation, and he came to die to give his life for ours. And I pray that we would see that, whether we're looking in from the outside, that we would see that as an invitation into something that looks very different than maybe what we have seen on TV as a depiction of the American church. Or if this is our home and we've been here for decades, I pray that it would grip us anew, that Jesus became a leper to bring us in. I pray in his name. Amen.